Hey, this is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream, Refuge Recovery, and Dharma Punks. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. I hope you're enjoying the Dharma. Together, may we create a positive change on this planet. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes. May our paths cross soon. Welcome, everyone. Anybody joining us for the first time tonight? Welcome, 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 welcome. Welcome back, everyone else. Welcome to anybody joining us on Zoom for the first time. Against the Stream is a Buddhist meditation center, and one of the core tenets of Buddhism is a relationship with um, other people who are also trying to be more wise and compassionate. Uh, in Buddhist jargon, people who are practicing the Dharma, who are living a life based on ethics, some, some levels of renunciation, some things that we don't do, uh, like killing and lying and stealing and cheating and that kind of unethical behavior. Uh, and then what we do add to our lives, the practice of meditation, the practice of maybe some study. And, and then part of it is um, making relationships with other people, uh, the perspective that in this world, uh, wisdom is rare. Ignorance is the status quo, is rampant. Self-centered, fear-based, greed, hatred, and delusion uh, rule the world from a Buddhist perspective. And wisdom, compassion, love, kindness, generosity, forgiveness is um, something that we can live into, but it's actually a rare quality rather than the norm. All you gotta do is look at the news and you'll see, like we're not talking about how much love and compassion there are on the planet. We're talking about how much war and ignorance and greed and, and uh, confusion is, is really the status quo. I'd like to begin by asking you to talk to each other in service of you starting to meet people. If you come here regularly, you talk to different people and you start to develop some community, some connection, rather than this just being a place to come meditate in silence and then leave and never meet anybody. So I'd like to give you a leading question, usually uh, based on the topic of my instructions and, and talk for tonight. So I have one. Sometimes I don't have a topic. Tonight I have a topic. And uh, the topic tonight is about love and uh, loving ourselves and uh, how a core part of what the Dharma is teaching us is to bring what we call loving kindness, self-love, self-compassion, self-forgiveness. Metta is the Buddhist word, learning to love ourselves and each other. So first, just a reflection for everybody. Do you love yourself? Don't, don't, don't have to answer, just reflecting on, reflecting for a moment, what do you love about yourself? And especially if your mind says, no, I don't. Dig deeper beyond the judging mind, beyond the you know, parts of our lives that are difficult and suffering and uh, to dig, deep, dig deeper, what are some positive things about you that you do appreciate, that you do honor, that you do enjoy, that you do love? Um, maybe that you're kind or that you're friendly or that you're generous or that you're patient or that you're, because our negativity bias of our human mind, usually it's easy to come up with all of the things that we're not. I'm not very patient. I'm not very 
loving. I'm not very, but you know, what is what is it about your what do you love about yourself? So this is the question um, for the small groups. And in the small groups, uh, two or three people at home, I'll put you into these breakout groups. And I'd like you to do it like this, um, as a sort of, you, you just make one statement. Something about myself that I love is, and just complete that. And then the next person, something about myself that I love is. Um, if that works, or I love this about myself, you can make it your own own words but something about myself that i love or that i'm learning to love or that i want to love you know maybe it's aspirational maybe you're like hey, i'm in totally depressed self-hatred right now i can't think of anything but i'd like to learn to love myself in these ways make sense and then just go around and so you'll say it once and then it'll come back around the first one's like hopefully easy low-hanging fruit and then it'll come around to you again second time something else about myself that i love something else about and maybe it'll go around five or ten times and it gets harder right you kind of you all of the easy things of like i, I love my fashion i love that i'm stuck in the 1980s it's <laughs> i love you know and make it about you know something about yourself not your stuff not your you know but something about you because we're learning to love ourselves um and that's the meditation we're going to do tonight so go ahead find three people and at home i will put you in breakout groups so before before we meditate i want to give a little context to tonight's practice i mentioned this last week for people who attended last week um a group of us from against the stream 35 people I just got back, you know, two weeks ago now from Thailand, from being doing a Thai forest tradition pilgrimage. So the Buddhism that I teach and practice is very much American Buddhism, influenced by many different traditions. Sort of, you know, America, the melting pot of cultures. Um, uh, our American Buddhism isn't, you know, the way that I practice and teaches and um, strictly from one lineage there's many different lineages of buddhism but the primary probably the the deepest and and most profound influence in my buddhist practice has been the thai forest tradition and so i brought um, there was 35 of us that went to thailand a bunch of people in the room came on the trip people at home on zoom and um, the first part of the trip was we spent uh, a couple days at a Thai forest uh, monastery and a monastery that um, is for, uh, it's called an international monastery um, in Thailand, but it's for non-Thais. It's for people who wanna join this tradition, but um, aren't in the Thai cultural, maybe don't speak Thai so well, a lot of Americans, Canadians, but also very, very international there was um people from many different countries at the monastery but they're teaching and practicing in english uh, with some poly and some thai mixed in but it's uh, training in buddhist monasticism in english and one of the uh opportunities that we had when i think the second day we were there there was one of the most senior monks uh, a westerner canadian who ordained in this lineage with Ajahn Chah, the lineage of Ajahn Chah, uh, 50 years ago in the 70s. So 50 years ago was 70, 
three, I guess. And he was one of the people that started this monastery that we were visiting. And I didn't, uh, I don't know him well. Some of my other teachers were also involved in the early creation of this uh, lineage, but this wasn't one of them, but he was one of their contemporaries, but I didn't, didn't know him. And we just got an, like an hour with him one morning. Um, and the thing about monks, I don't know about you, but from the outside, especially in this lineage, they're very composed. They're, and there's all of this ritual and there's a lot of bowing and there's a lot of, and they're kind of, they probably won't make eye contact with you. And you can't quite tell, like, you, you might sort of think like, I don't think they like me <laughs> if you're around the monks. Like they won't really, you know, they're, they're not interested in visiting with you at all. Like they're doing their thing when they're in the, you know, rituals of their morning meditation and chanting and meal and, um, and also like we kind of invaded this monastery where they were like, we never let groups come here. Like we're here for training. Um, we, you know, decided to take a risk because we know about you and the kind of diverse way that you are, you know, bringing people into the Dharma. And I'd been at this monastery once 28 years ago uh, for three days. <laughs> and they were like, you know, so we, you know, we're letting you come, but, um, and, you know, I feel like people, interesting if you've ever been around monks, to see sometimes people project like, oh, they're so peaceful because they're just like, they don't talk to you. <laughs> um, they're so peaceful. They're so, they must be so, you know, free. Uh, for me, sometimes I project on them like, wow, they're like so uh, unfriendly. I put up maybe because personality, I put a lot of emphasis into like people greeting you and saying like, you know, making eye contact and, and connecting like this is just my personality and that's how I feel seen and loved and connected. And so being around people who are gonna basically ignore you and because they're, you know, in their own practice. So there was this very senior monk and he hadn't given us anything and he's over there on the, you know, kind of, in the in the highest spot buddhism is very hierarchical and it's very much like whoever is the most senior monk everyone's bowing to the most senior monk everyone's uh he's in the the seat of honor and so we, we see him and he's there but he's not you know we've got no connection but then one morning he says um if the group would like to come i've got an hour i can talk to you and so we go into this little um outdoor room um hard marble floor and we're sitting there and um he's you know up on this kind of something like this you know bench and um and then as soon as he like starts to talk to us he's connected he's laughing he's smiling he's uh if, you know this sort of um feeling of being seen and, and just kind of for me i have some projection for sure but this feeling of um uh, wow, this is a, a wise person. This is a loving person. This is a kind person, uh, which I didn't get for the first you know, day because there was no connection there. But then as soon as he starts talking, there was a connection. And he's 50 years and these guys are the most austere of the Buddhists. I think probably the most austere, the most uh, le highest level of renunciation of, of um, you know, one meal a day, total celibacy, no um, connection with any kind of financial, they don't, they can't touch money. 
everything has to be offered everything has to be supported they've they've taken a level of renunciation for their life and and so this guy's 50 years into it and my perception is that he's he's radiating happiness he's got a level of happiness that uh, most people um, with lots of money and stuff and responsibilities just don't have and he's got nothing and lives in he's got you know what monks can own is a begging bowl and three sets of robes that's it that's their only possessions that's the only thing they're allowed to own a bowl three sets, and there's a couple of other allowable things but basically they have their robes and that's it so he gives us a, a little bit of a talk and you know is interested in who we are and against the stream and the dharma punks and refuge recovery and and how we're practicing in our buddhism in our lives um, and then he asks if there's any questions and one of the students asks him a question about um, developing the something my recollection was her question was something about recollection you know kind of developing the um discernment around when to take it easy on oneself i think she was saying something like i, I feel like i was striving too hard and um you know like putting too much effort and energy and strain on my practice and that uh and since i saw that i was being a bit uptight uh, rather than relaxed around my practice and my renunciation. Now I'm trying to relax and accept myself more just as I am. But I, she said, but I'm noticing I'm going a little farther the other direction. I'm becoming complacent or not, not as vigilant as I'd like to be with my practice. And this is, do you understand the question? It's an important question. It's an important thing that we all have to grapple with. Um, and how to treat our, you know, then the, uh, the if you practice Buddhism for a little while, your ego, your superego, part of your mind will latch onto it, and then you'll start judging yourself. Like, I'm not being a very good Buddhist today. I only meditated for 10 minutes instead of 40. Or, you know, I, um, this woman in particular had been trying to live her life as a lay person for a while, uh, practicing eight precepts, meaning not eating afternoon, not sleeping in a bed, only sleeping on the floor on a kind of you know, uncomfortable mattress on the floor, um, not wearing any adornments, not, not using any entertainment. So in addition to the five precepts of not lying, not killing, not stealing, uh, avoiding sexual misconduct and avoiding all forms of recreational intoxicants, adding sleeping on the floor, not eating afternoon, not listening to any music or entertainment or social media or, uh, and, um, no adornments, no makeup, no jewelry, no, no fashion. At the monastery, they actually want you to just wear white so that you're not, you know, rocking your Wu Tang shirt. <laughs> not representing the Wu, just wear a white shirt. Um, if you're a lay person, and that's one of the reasons why they wear their robes, because there's just no, although the robes are kind of a cool fashion, right? A bunch of men in long flowing dresses. It's, a, it's its own fashion statement, <laughs> but it never gets a change, right? There's no, there's, there's no uniform change. It's always the same long flowing dress. So 
so she asked this question about learning to have you know discernment around and the answer that he gave and i know this is a, a long intro uh, but the answer that he gave was basically um he encouraged her to practice loving kindness he said the more metta the more loving kindness that we develop towards ourselves the more we will have uh, that relationship to the judging mind that says you're not doing it right or um and also out of that self-love that loving kindness there will be i'm i'm meditating not out of guilt or i'm practicing not out of guilt or out of i should be but i'm i meditate because i love myself and because i know how good this is for me and meditation is an act of generosity is an act of kindness towards my heart towards my mind to tune out the externals and just to sit with my own emotions as an act of love to sit with my own thoughts with my own sensations as an act of self kindness friendliness um, care towards oneself but he gave these um you know and again this guy like knows the suttas is you know scholarly it's practiced for 50 years and instead of giving us some like this is what the buddha taught about loving kindness teaching he said I, I think loving kindness is is what you're you know will help and he said i'd like you to practice loving kindness by just saying to yourself i love you i have always loved you i will always love you and let that be your meta phrase i love you i have always loved you i will always love you to yourself and like all practices, uh, do it over and over and over until you mean it, until you feel it, until you can live in that place of, I love myself. I've always, and, and connecting, I, I had a conversation with somebody after this, they're like, well, I haven't, I don't feel like it's true to say I've always loved myself. I've spent quite a bit of my life hating myself. I don't want to lie to myself. I don't know that it's, I can honestly say I've always loved myself. But what I encourage, if that's true for you, and I, you know, for me, when I came to meditation, uh, to the Dharma, to Buddhist practice 35 years ago, I hated myself. That's all I knew was that I was a piece of shit uh, and that I was a you know, drug addict and a criminal and I did not love myself. I, uh, but what I encouraged, and, and even looking back in my own experience, is that there is that part. Maybe it's a very young part. Maybe it's when you were three years old. Maybe it was before the trauma, before the wounds, before the addiction, before the suffering of life, the self-centered fear of elementary school. <laughs> uh, but looking back and digging deep and then even if you don't have a conscious memory of like yeah i used to love myself just allow being generous with yourself assuming there's a wise part of my heart there's a maybe that i'm not even in connected connection with a wise part of my heart and mind that has always been a loving presence even if it was buried obscured lost even if the judging voices and the self hatred and self-centeredness or have been much louder my whole life the, the low self-esteem has been much louder than the self-love but there's a, it's in there somewhere it's in there in all of us somewhere has always been in there you know when we're born we're born in a 
sense of uh, we care about ourselves, we love ourselves, and that we, you know, somehow learn our survival instinct, all of the issues of being a human get in the way of continuing to love ourselves. So when you're saying in the meditation tonight, I have always loved you, let it know that it's coming from there is a place in you, a, the wisest place of your heart, for lack of a better word, that has always loved you, even if you don't hear it much. And then that last phrase, that commitment. And make that commitment. I will always love you regardless, unconditionally, no matter what. Even if you are imperfect, even if you fuck up, even if you are unethical, whatever it is, I'll still love you. That, that part of you that will still love you and that um, that conditional love that many of us learn from our families or society or religion or whatever it is that made our love conditional saying I, i'm committed to having that kind of wisdom in my life of loving myself no matter what always i will always love you i generally like to practice Meta uh, as an aspirational phrase rather than a um, statement, the kind of affirmations have always rubbed me a little bit the wrong way. Saying I love you or I forgive you when it's not quite true yet. So if that's true for you, you could also modify this practice to say something like, I love you as much as I can in this moment to yourself. I've always loved you to the best of my shitty abilities. You can bring some humor, some humility to it. I'm, you know, I will always love you as much as I can, as consciously, as much as I, um, so you can bring some humility to it. If just saying the, I love you, I have always loved you. I will always love you feels a little too disingenuous, dis dishonest. Okay, now I've ruined it by over-explaining it, but let's meditate. <laughs> Find a way to sit upright, relaxed. Releasing any tension that your body's holding as you find the posture of stillness, relative stillness, relaxed, softening the eyes, the jaw, the shoulders, the belly. Often tension in the belly or the jaw is a resistance. So part of our softening is becoming non-resistant, open to our own attention, to our own loving, intentions. And establish, establishing the intention to be loving and kind to yourself. The self that is the process of having a human mind that has wonderful abilities and probably a lot of bad habits. 
the judging mind, the comparing mind, the worrying, resenting mind states, developing loving kindness towards all of those unpleasant tendencies of our mind, as well as towards the mind that is creative, is humorous, is witty, is at times peaceful. Loving kindness towards the, both the joy and the sorrow of our mental world. Loving kindness towards this body, this physical form that is subject to sickness and aging and death, this vessel that carries around our consciousness. Kindness, love, appreciation towards your physical body. Towards your heart, the emotional center, the place of both love and hatred. the nervous system, the digestive system, the heart and lungs and the life that we call I, me, mine, this process of body, heart and mind that you are referring to when you say I. Begin, if you haven't already, begin saying to yourself, I love you, from yourself to yourself. I have always loved you, connecting with the wisest part of your being that has always loved you. I will always love you. no matter what, no matter what happens. I will always love you. Finding the rhythm as you repeat these three sentiments. We're training the mind. I love you. I have always loved you. I will always love you. Slowly, over and over to yourself.
be interesting also as you do this practice to reflect on earlier stages in your life or different parts of the self, the young part. I love you to that kid, that adolescent. I've always loved you. I will always love you. Perhaps targeting parts of your self that you feel shame about or judge. Sending love to those parts that need it the most, the shame. I love you. I've always loved you. I will always love you. A part of the mind that is so quick to criticize, that is so fear-based. Sending love to this confused mind. I love you. I've always loved you. I will always love you. Developing a loving relationship to our own minds. Imagine seeing yourself through the eyes of wisdom, through the eyes of compassion, the eyes of the Buddha, of Kuan Yin. There's nothing wrong with you, nothing unlovable about you. Learning to treat ourselves with the unconditional love that the wisest being in the world that we're not yet, we're not there yet. We're learning to love ourselves in this way through the repetition, creating these neuropathways of friendliness, of kindness. 
kindness, of love. Even if you don't really mean it yet, I love you as much as I can in this moment. can be quite powerful to also use your own first name in these kind of practices so that it's clear that it's from you to you. Four players playing for those.
as an act of love towards yourself, repeating these phrases over and over, training the mind to be more loving. There's a place in the Buddha's teachings where he says something like, we could search the entire world, all realms of existence, and never find anybody more worthy of our love than ourselves. This practice is inviting us to remember our worthiness, our ability to experience, to reconnect, to learn to love ourselves unconditionally with all of the difficult emotions, with all of the pain, the loss, the sorrow, with all of the joy, the beauty. I love you as much as I can in this moment. 
I have always loved you as much as I can. I will always love you. I think I said it, but just uh, saying it again, that the, one of the things that uh, impressed me the most about receiving this simple meditation instruction was that 50 years of intense, full-time, monastic Dharma practice in my mind, in this person, culminated in this very simple instruction. I bet if we would have got some instructions from him like 45 years ago, it would have been very complicated. But as the practice matures and it simplifies to really, we just gotta learn to love ourselves. I mean, there's more than that, of course, <laughs> but it's kind of the foundation 
of liberation it has to be from this level of kindness and friendliness towards this mind body process that we call i or me or mine so i'm just really appreciating the simplicity direct simplicity of um when uh, Buddhist practice matures into a simple instruction rather than a complicated system, a simple instruction. I love you. Uh, the monk's name is Ajahn Viradamo. He has a monastery in Canada, I believe it's in Ontario. If you're interested, you could Google him um, and uh, there's YouTube talks and if you're interested in checking out uh, a Buddhist monk that has some good wisdom, Ajahn Viradhamma. So before I have some more for reflections, but before I go on, questions uh, about this instruction or comments about how it is to say to yourself, I love you, and uh, how much of your mind would let that in, how much resistance, uh, what to do with, with the resistance. I, many of you have heard me uh, reflect on my own uh, process and development of these kind of practices. When I started practicing Buddhism, um, mindfulness made sense. It was rational. <laughs> and it was, you know, the, the, that simple instruction of pay attention to your breath and ignore your mind is what hooked me because I saw for the first time in my life, I didn't have to pay attention to my mind. And, and I was well aware that my mind was filled with suffering and that most of my suffering was in my mind. And so learning to ignore my mind and come back to the breath was a, such a relief. And it hooked me. I was like, okay, there's something here. I can ignore my mind for one half a breath at a time. And, um, and then as I started to practice more and go on meditation retreats and I started hearing about loving kindness, I was skeptical and I was resistant and I wasn't interested in, and I, I even felt like, at some point i felt like well you know one of the things i love about buddhism is he starts with the truth like suffering and i'm like yeah suffering i can relate to there's suffering there's a cause of suffering there's a path to the end of suffering and it's just it's so punk you know, it's just it's so metal just fucking suffering i could just get behind that and, <laughs> and then and then the fucking they start talking about loving yourself and they're like oh man and all my teachers were hippies so i was like i'm pretty sure the hippies just like slipped this shit in here <laughs> the buddhism you know the buddha was like a radical revolutionary you know political activist and the fucking hippies are trying to make us love ourselves And as I started the loving kindness practice, I couldn't, uh, and some of you might have this experience, 
uh, I couldn't say it with um, sincerity. I didn't mean it yet. I didn't felt like I didn't feel like I deserved it. I didn't feel like I upon reflection, I think that a lot of my early experience with it was that it felt um, vulnerable and um, felt too vulnerable and too kind of intimate and it felt actually unsafe all of my defense mechanisms and uh, survival instincts that had become you know fear and anger and resentment and judgment and uh, were so resistant to being kind and gentle and patient and loving it felt like i would be um too vulnerable and it took me some years of saying loving kindness phrases uh, before I started to mean them and it took more years before it started to really land and actually started to feel good. I think it was probably somewhere between five and 10 years of loving kindness practice that I started to feel like oh yeah I, I like saying this to myself it feels true and it feels useful and it feels honest and i'm starting to live into it so. Um, and I you know i've been teaching for a long time, so I meet people a lot who say like yeah I love the mindfulness. I don't really fuck with the loving kindness or the compassion or the forgiveness or um and if we don't and i think i was at risk of being one of those who's just like well i'll just do this piece over here that i like i like mindfulness i like that i like this observing the impermanent and the impersonal and the unsatisfactory nature of things that feels like wisdom but kindness compassion love feels too uh gooey too woo woo uh, what do you say jason like something la la it's too sissy la la which is too yeah um so my encouragement for all of us myself included is to persevere to keep going um keep saying it until you mean it and then once you mean it once you start feeling it and meaning it then it's like a pleasure then you want to keep doing it it's like the uh you know alcoholic asked his sponsor how long do i have to go to these fucking meetings and the sponsor said you gotta go until you want to go <laughs> and then you keep going and it's like that with the practice you do it until you mean it and then once you mean it and you feel it then you keep doing it because it's like oh no this feels nourishing this feels healthy this feels good so any any questions about the instructions or if you have a question at home you can um, raise your hand in the reactions tab at the bottom of the screen or comments about what it's like to <coughs> Say, I love you. I have always loved you. I will always love you. Jay. So, uh, I to do that when I'm meditating, when I have a conversation, and I don't, and that one part of my, my head is saying, I love you. I've always loved you. Another part of me goes, Sure, okay, prove it. I don't know if I even like you. You know, um, why do you abuse yourself like that? Why do you treat yourself like that? You love yourself so much. And 
I have a lot of people in my life who I love who I don't necessarily like. Mm -hmm. And uh, tried to approach it that way with personality. Okay, I love you. I don't accept everything you do. Mm -hmm. I don't like everything you do. Um, prove it, you know, <laughs> prove it. So I'm, I'm new in recovery again. So I'm dealing with a lot of stuff that I don't want to just Sure. I have a couple of comments. Could you hear them at home? Mostly. Um, saying, I love you to ourselves, and then your mind saying, prove it. And um, so a couple of things. One is, you know, say back to that side of your mind, I am proving it, motherfucker. I'm sitting here meditating. I stayed sober today. I'm showing up, right? I am, I am, this is an, I'm, I'm proving it right now, rather than that judging mind that says like, well, you haven't been perfect and you've hurt so many people. Like, yep, that's true too. I've hurt myself and I've hurt a bunch of people and I'm actually proving it right now on the meditation cushion that I love myself enough to do this shit. And I'm staying sober today and I'm showing up and making amends and doing all of those things that are part of our recovery. So don't, you know, don't let that part of your mind that says you haven't earned it, you know, like, yeah, but I'm earning it right now. And of course, and I think it's one of the reasons why I said, you know, five years, 10 years, it got easier for me because I stayed sober and I kept meditating and I made the amends and I took so much of that uh, ammunition out of the judging mind that it became easier to sincerely love myself because I wasn't hurting myself and other people the way that I used to. And so then it became easier. So there, you know, it's one of the reasons why we have the five precepts. Because the more ethically we live, the less harm we cause, the easier it is to live with ourselves because we don't have the guilt, the shame, the karma of that negative behavior. So even in the beginning, when it's like, well, I'm not very far away from that lion steeding, cheating pirate's life. Um, so I don't, you know, that patience of like, yeah, okay, not there yet. Not very far from it. Still just an early recovery or just coming to practice or just this is a foreign concept. And just say it, you know, even if you don't mean it. And so I know I started with like, you know, responding to that part of your mind. But maybe it's even more skillful to respond to that part of your mind with, I love you too. The judging mind, the unworthiness mind, the prove it, that fucking asshole that you've lived with your whole life that has been saying that shit to us our whole lives. And rather than cowering or arguing with the judging mind, actually just turning the loving kindness on the loving mind. I love you too, grumpy critic, doubt, fear, resistance. I love you too. 
and kind of trying trying to meet that part of the mind with friendliness as much as we can and maybe it's even uh more like turning forgiveness towards that part of the mind rather than believing it and arguing with it but i think there is something to saying like i'm doing it i'm here i'm fucking doing it trying give me a break here i'm trying and then also just saying like and i forgive you fucking judging asshole you're the reason i drink i have to live with you motherfucker i'm trying to forgive you i'm trying to say i love you and you know responding directly to that part of the mind with as much kindness as you can in this moment i know i use language that sounds a bit aggressive to it but i do feel like there's sometimes a a part of you know to kind of stand up for for that part of I, I really am trying here give me a break and i love you and i forgive you because that's that part of your mind's not your friend it's a survival instinct it's a um it's not your fault but it's not to be trusted it's not to be believed michelle go ahead hey this is super uncomfortable so thank you you're welcome <laughs> thanks uh i i run into problems with worthiness and as i found during this practice and then this is more of a comment than a question although i'd like your thoughts on this like i would come up with a but but you know i love you but nobody else does right or or that right that same old thing that comes up for me all the time and one thing that I found that I'm doing lately is uh, meeting with inquiry, like a neutral inquiry, like, well, who said that to you in the first place? You know, who whose disbelief is that in the first place? And it kind of helps jar me out of like that place of of self-pity and, and before I even get into the believing Mara in the first place. But like sometimes I follow it, you know, and I'm like, yeah, you know. I like the inquiry. Could everybody could hear in the room for the most part? Um, I like the inquiry. What you know? Where do these critical tendencies come from? Sometimes it's quite obvious. We hear those uh, unworthy thoughts in a parent's voice or a teacher's voice, or a, you know, you you can if you're if you listen carefully, you can kind of see like, oh, I know where I got that tendency. I sound just like my dad or my mom or my sibling or somebody criticizing me and I internalized it. Um, so it's useful sometimes to inquire like that. And what was the other piece? Um, oh, the, the, the commenting mind that says, I love you, but I think it's the same as I was saying to, to JJ around like, just try to have forgiveness for that part of your mind that's not very kind or compassionate. I love you and I forgive the part of my mind that feels like it still needs, that still needs to qualify it. But, and especially something like, I love you, but nobody else does. Like what a fucking merciless, <laughs> thought that is how unloving and not your fault 
your mind does that. You know, most of our minds do shit like that, but it's part of what we're doing is learning to respond wisely to that ignorant thought. Because um, it's not true. Lots of people love you, Michelle. There's a whole bunch of us that love you. So, but that's, you know, you, you need to know that. So, uh, I don't know. And maybe, I don't know. I want to I, I say this, but I'm not sure if it's true. Maybe it doesn't matter if other people love us, if we truly love ourselves. I think that's probably not true. I think that if we love ourselves, it does matter that, we, that other people, you know, we are relational people and we need to be loved. And, um, but we probably need, we're not so dependent on other people's love or attention or, you know, any of that stuff when we really know our own self-worth, when we really love ourselves then you still want those connections and those, you know, you still want to be loved, but you're not, you don't need it so much. Like those monks off in the forest, do they love each other? Maybe, but they live their life in a lot of solitude and they're very happy. Without any romance at all. <laughs> Without any. Eric. Um, I just want to first say, like, uh, I love you, Eric. I've always loved you, and I will always love you. Has totally changed my meditation game. Like, I had nothing, like, as far as an anchor before. Like, just focusing on your breath like, really works for me. It really works for me. And um, since we got back, I've actually been able to sit. And I go there, I go there, I go there, and I shifted into you're worthy to there, you are worthy, you've always been worthy, you've always been worthy. And um, I don't even know if there's a question in there, but um, but I don't know if I've ever not loved myself, or maybe it's the ego that loves me so much, you know what I'm saying? But I know by saying it over and over, I'll condition myself eventually to, to feel it. But still not sure if I feel it or even believe it. And I, I'm not sure if I damage my mind so much that I don't, other thoughts don't even come in when I'm going in that thing. Um, I had a question about renunciation of um, relationships and sex. And what's the word you, you use? What? Abstinence or celibacy or? No, when the monks, it, it's almost like a word, like, like a negative thing. <clears throat> Oh, like uh, when they talk about being in relationships? No, what you said. Austerity no, or. Sexual oh, sexual misconduct. misconduct. Oh, yeah. Thank you, Ruby. In Western mind, I yeah. feel sexual misconduct is like <clears throat> something that, you know, those producers are going to prison for now. You know what I mean? So, how is it viewed? Is, you know. Sexual misconduct. So uh, avoiding sexual misconduct is the third precept of the five precepts for lay people. And the way that the Buddha talked about it was basically consenting adults. It's fairly, <laughs> fairly liberal. Um, it's don't cheat. Don't engage with somebody else who is breaking their commitment. You know, don't break your commitments. Don't engage with somebody else who is breaking their commitment. Don't be involved in cheating and lying and 
Um, and then don't be with anybody that's underage, that's uh, not, you know, even if they're not, they, they use the term betrothed, which doesn't mean married, but promised to be married, I think, something like that. Um, which, you know, in that culture is like, you know, they're promising their daughter to the other family and you're not allowed to engage with them. Um, so it's pretty, so sexual misconduct is really just like, you know, consenting adults that are single. <laughs> That's for the lay people. But the monks actually take a vow of celibacy where they, you know, give up all sexual activity. So if your question um, is coming from, you know, an exploration for yourself around celibacy and maybe re investigating and tuning, retuning around relationships. I've um, talked, shared my, my experience of um, actually practicing celibacy at times in, in my adult life. And um, for a couple of years in my 20s, I was sort of, a, I was so into the monks and then had this other teacher that was celibate. And I thought like, what an interesting uh, exploration to fully give up sex for a while and give up masturbation and give up, you know, looking at pornography and just having full time and energy for investigation, including when I get horny and not satisfying desire and not engaging and not looking for external validation. And um, so I think it's a great practice and it's a great sort of reset at times if you're in between, you know, if you're in relationship, it's not so easy to be like, hey, honey, I'm gonna <laughs> be celibate for a while. Um, but if you're in not, you know, if you're in between relationships, then um, to take, a, take some time and say like, I think I won't masturbate for a few months and I think I won't seek relationships. And I think I'll uh, really just give my time to learning to love myself just as I am without that going into uh, pleasure. Cause you know, from a Buddhist perspective, masturbation is not sexual misconduct. There's no judgment around it, but it's quite interesting to give it up for a while. Powerful. Welcome. And I love that the, um, you know, Eric was, sitting there when this monk gave us these instructions was at the monastery with us. And I love that it has landed and uh, given you a kind of a foundation for your practice. And then us being on the retreat afterwards in silence when we were using this instruction. And so I love that you're integrating it and continuing it in your practice. Yeah. It, it yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's one of those things where we have these powerful experiences that change us. But if we don't follow up with practice, that it just becomes a you know powerful memory that doesn't get integrated. So it's like the fact that you're actually sitting and integrating it. Yeah. Uh, maybe last one, Tibby. Go ahead. Hey, I love that reminder when you see something, when you experience something powerful to immediately integrate it, or it's just a memory. That was great. So glad I stayed all night. Hey, Noah, shockingly, this is the hardest instruction of any instruction you've ever given me. I'm like, I'm not doing that. Like, I told the resistance, and I was like, where does the Buddha tell us this? Where is this in his teaching? That's the question? 
It's a good question. Did you hear? I'll paraphrase. She's like, this is bullshit. <laughs> You're making this shit up. Where does the where does the Buddha tell us that we have to love ourselves? Something like that, right, Tibby? Got you. Yeah, like that. Where is this in the teachings? Yeah. Yeah. Or how, or how does it come from the teachings if it's well, not it's, specific so it's so because you're familiar enough um i'll give you a, a one word answer it's meta we can dialogue about this stay on the stay on the uh mic for a minute it's loving kindness you know loving kindness it's from the metta sutta it's just a different way to practice metta does that make sense to you, Tibby? Yeah, but then, like, you're going to say this is cliche, but I'm like, how does that fit into, like, oh, we don't have a, a permanent self, right? Like, we don't have a self. Yeah. What are we giving meth? What is, is it that our bodies and minds are getting to saturate and experience meta? Yes. Or, yeah, I mean, so this is, I don't know how many other people have this question. I have this question too, um, because on one hand, the Dharma, Buddhism is teaching us that there is no self. There's no permanent, continuous self and is over and over encouraging us not to take it all personal and not to be self-centered. And, you know, so on one hand, there's no I, there's no me, there's, so, you know, I, I said that, that quote, you know, and the, Buddhism can be confusing like this because there's one quote that I love where the Buddha said, there is nothing in here worth clinging to as I or me or mine. Nothing in the human experience worth clinging to, including love, not worth clinging to as I or me or mine. Because, right? So on one hand, there, that's part of the Buddhist teachings. And then on the other hand, the Buddha says, you can search all realms of existence and never find another being more worthy of your love than yourself. Both Buddha's teachings, nothing worth clinging to. Nobody is more worthy of your love than yourself. So there's Buddhism goes from the relative to the ultimate. And I think self-love is a little bit of a relative teaching. It's a little bit of a, I, I called it foundational. From the foundation of I love myself, we can then start to unpack who is this self that I love. Don't get stuck in self-centered love. <laughs> Don't get stuck in I'm clinging to I am, you know, the most worthy person in the whole world. And I don't become like a, a narcissistic spiritual. I'm so fucking worthy. I'm the most worthy. <laughs> person of love in any room that I walk into. Like, you don't want to stop there. Like, that's gross. <laughs> but you also want to be able to walk into any room and be like, I love myself no matter what. I love my, I'm not more worthy, not less worthy. I love myself no matter what, whether I'm accepted in this situation or not accepted in this situation, I'm going to accept myself unconditionally as much as I can in every aspect of my life. 
it is loving kindness. It is, you know, the um, thing that I wanted to say before we end, because I have this question too around, I have always loved you and my own issues with, I don't know how it hasn't, that doesn't, doesn't feel like it's always been true. But according to the Buddha, and I can relate to this in my own, I, I said this before, like when I started saying this to myself, loving kindness practice or forgiveness or compassion 35 years ago, I didn't mean it. But then, you know, for the last 25 years, I've really meant it. <laughs> it took 10 years to get to the place where I really meant it. But for the last 25 years or so, I've been able to say it and really mean it and embody it for the most part, not perfectly, but for the most part. And the Buddha said, you know, when he came to awakening, it wasn't a brand new experience. He had uncovered what we call Buddha nature, bodhicitta, the wise heart. He said, and when, when I uncovered that which was always here, but had been obscured by clinging and self-centeredness and fear, and when I saw through the clinging, self-centeredness, greed, hatred, delusion, when I saw through it, and I saw how impersonal it is just part of our survival instinct and that it's not who we are, and that what remained was a sense of loving kindness for all living beings, including oneself. What remained was a sense of compassion for all living beings, including ourselves as part of all living beings. What remained when the heart and mind are free from self-centered fear, I love myself as well as all living beings. I have compassion for myself as well as all living beings and equanimity and appreciative joy. And that this is what, uh, you know, for lack of a better word, and it's not technically the right way to talk about it in Buddhism, but for lack of a, a, an easier way to say it, it's our true nature. It's what's really underneath the confusion of the human experience is a loving heart, a wise heart, a compassionate heart. And our practices are uncovering. You know, a lot of us are in recovery from addiction. Maybe everyone, even not alcoholics and addicts, are recovering from the delusion of unworthiness or of some form of suffering. And recovery means, in my mind and the way that I like to think about it, is that we are recovering something that was already here. We are uncovering the wise, universal goodness that's in all of us, that is a loving heart. And so I have always loved you is true. There's a part of you, maybe that you have no relationship with yet. <laughs> but if you keep practicing, you will uncover that part of you that has always loved yourself. Not in the I, me, mind, self-centeredness, but in that healthiest way of, I understand this whole process is really fucking impersonal. And I love this impersonal process that's unfolding here. And I have patience for this judging, confused mind and this aching, aging corpse that I'm carrying around <laughs> with love, with compassion. That's all I got for tonight.
Um, I don't love asking for money. I don't love fundraising. I've been procrastinating. But Against the Stream is a nonprofit. And, um, you know, the donations that come in on Monday nights don't, you know, we get like, I don't know, less than $1,000 a month or something like that in donations. The rent is 3,500. We have two employees that keep, you know, everything going, myself and Sebastian. Um, we need your financial support, if you can give it. Uh, it's very intentional that we are donation-based. It's very intentional that we're a nonprofit. Um, everyone's welcome. I, you know, I never wanna charge for something like this because I wouldn't wanna exclude anybody that didn't have the ability to pay for it but if you like it <laughs> if you like what against the stream is doing and you please support it if you're not a monthly supporter please consider becoming a monthly supporter it's not like a gym where you have to join to go you can come for free probably some people have been coming for free for i've been teaching this monday night class for over 18 years now i'm sure there's people that have been coming for long time and don't give a shit and that's okay but the way that that usually works is that the people who have more and are able to give more and feel motivated to give more do give more so rather than just donating for yourself and being like well i can afford 10 bucks or i have plenty of money and i'll give 20 bucks consider can you can you donate for some of the people that have nothing and you, you know, supplement and and kind of pay it forward in that way, so that we can continue, and we're going to continue to 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 function in this way. But um, I need to remember to ask. And the truth is, I feel a little bit uncomfortable about. It. I don't love asking, um, but I do believe it's actually good for us to give. I believe it's good good karma, good merit, good. Uh, we're a worthy organization for you to support. So please be as supportive, as supportive as you can be, as you want to be. Um, and, you know, I, I used to have some major donors that would write some big checks and that would sort of supplement the whole thing where people would be like, here's 10 grand or here's 50 grand or something like that. And they would supplement the whole thing. And I don't currently have any real major supporters for Against the Stream. So maybe one of you <laughs> tonight would like to become a, a benefactor and have some abundance to share with the nonprofit. It is all tax deductible, all of that stuff. And if you are, um, please let me know because I probably won't ask you, uh, but maybe I will ask you. So, New Year's Eve intention setting ceremonies coming up. It's December. December 31st is a Saturday night this year. We're going to do, a, um, I think, 7 p.m. till 9. 930 uh, intention setting ceremony in this room we take the precepts we it's a sunday okay it's a sunday um it's a sunday night i thought it was saturday okay um we light a candle we state our intention for the coming year we precepts refuges we meditate we reflect it's a community thing people can also do it on zoom it's open for registration it's on the website and I scheduled a day-long meditation practice retreat uh, for January 14th from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. where we'll do sitting meditation and walking meditation and you know, a good way to start your new year, January 14th, 9 to 4, day of sitting and walking meditation, which you can also do either in person or on Zoom if you'd like. Both of those are open for registration.
Anything else? We got lots of sweatshirts. We got a nice way to support against the stream is buy our merch. You buy a sweatshirt, we make 10 bucks or 20 maybe. I don't know what we make, something. So consider buying some, some merch. And at home, you can order it on online. Yeah. Jason, you want to announce your Wednesday class? I'd be happy to. Uh, my name is Jason Murphy. For those of you that don't know me, and I teach here uh, Wednesday night, 7.30 to 9. It's a very similar format. Check out Wednesdays. Yeah, and it could really use some live in-person support. We have a good online following, but the uh, those of you who live in the area, it'd be great to have you come and it's another opportunity to come and sit and discuss the Dharma. Thank you. Many goodness that comes from our practice and discussion lead to the direct experience of, of loving ourselves and loving each other and being a more loving uh, energy in this world. May we get as free as possible in this lifetime. And together, may we create a positive change on this planet. See you next week. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. This is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream and Refuge Recovery. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes.